The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And, uh, and so we'll start with this. You know, in, in uh, polite company, and I think for the most part, we're polite company, and maybe some of you are a little questionable, but, uh, but in polite company, there's a few things that you normally don't talk about, right? And, and government politics is one of those uh, but Pastor Blair is not here today so we're going to talk about politics a little bit and so I want to start with this um, have you ever been unhappy with a government has there ever been a time when you said or when you've heard said he's not my president he's not mine right I remember a few years ago hearing that a lot and then now the other side's flipped, and now we hear that a lot on the other side. This guy's not my president. We're going to see what God's word has to say about that. How about this? Have you ever had a bad boss, a bad manager, supervisor, customer, somebody that's over you in a working relationship? Have you ever experienced injustice at the hands of a boss? Well, today we're going to look and see what God's Word has to say about the authorities that are placed over us here on this earth. So, in your copy of God's Word, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, and I'll read for us. The Scripture says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing that when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you are sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I know that's a long passage and there's a lot there, so we'll start by giving a little bit of context when this was written. So if you'll imagine with me in the summer of 64 A.D., Rome burned for six long days, and Rome was devastated. Not only did many die, but many others became homeless. The Roman religious temples and shrines were destroyed, causing doubt in the government 
and the false gods who proved unable to help. The people grew from angry to dangerous, and the emperor Nero, who many now believe set the fire himself, needed a scapegoat. He found one in Christians, and Rome didn't need much convincing because they already hated Christianity for the threat that it posed to Roman culture. Word spread fast that Christians were to blame, and so began the first wave of state-led persecution. The brutality of this vicious government policy reached far and wide throughout the empire, and so Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter that we know now as 1 Peter. His aim was to reach God's people and to teach them how a follower of Jesus lives in the face of horrific hostility. How through willing submission, God is glorified. And so fast forward to us, and, and we have problems in America for sure, but nothing that compares to what the, the early church faced in Rome. However, the Bible is relevant for us today. It applies for us today. It's relevant in our lives and our context. And we have a unique opportunity to understand how God would have us react to adversity, no matter how great or small. So maybe our problem isn't the burning of Rome, but it certainly feels a lot like kind of all the time to me that things are just burning down around us. And so today, we're going to see what God's Word said about how to live in that fire, and the way to do it is to submit through suffering. So back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Look at it again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So what does this mean, human institution? Well, Quite simply, it's the government, it's governmental authority, and he's saying that we are to be subject to governmental authority, but it says every governmental authority. Did you see that? And so what does this mean? Does this mean that I'm supposed to drive according to the traffic laws in Bahrain? I hope not. Have you ever been to Bahrain? I've been there. Like the, the horn should just be wired directly to the ignition switch because it honks constantly. Cabs should come equipped with helmets when you get in. And so am I supposed to follow every governmental authority? Am I supposed to follow their rules here? Well, well no. What it's saying is that every governmental authority that is over you where you might be, we often call it the law of the land. And so we know that there are different divisions of power, different levels of government authority that start even as small as in the home and in the school, and they branch out from there, we get into actual local government like the city, the county, spreads out to the state, and then finally ending with federal authority and the different levels of government and branches of government that we have there, and the one that we most often think of, the executive authority, the president of the United States. And so we wanna look back and see what Peter writes about this because he lists specifically a couple of different levels of authority here in, uh, in verse 13, and he says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, and some translations, you know, might use uh, king, yours might say king, but I think the ESV gets it right here, and it says emperor, because it, it explains to us that this leader is supreme, he's the top dog of the government. And so I think you get it, but can you imagine what I just told you they were going through? The city's on fire and persecution begins. It's led by the state, which is led by the emperor. And he's saying to honor Nero. Can you imagine that? He goes on in verse 14, and he also says governors. 
So here we see those other levels of government or various organizations that divide power. So even in the face of persecution from this organized government, God's word tells them and it tells us today that we are to be subject to governmental authority. It even tells us why. Verse 13 again, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Now I have this kind of uh, overly sensitive imaginary friend that lives somewhere inside my head and so when he reads passages like this that are about doing something I don't want to do he says well this this is uh, this is about character building right this is about you know God wants you to obey so that you can build character and and so that so that uh, I can become a better me so that you can become a better you and we've got to get that line of thinking out of our head This is about God and his will. He even says, and if you look at verse 14, it says that he sent them. Do you see that there? The governmental authorities are in their position because he sent them to do what? To punish the evil and praise the good. These instructions aren't just here in 1 Peter. I want you to put your finger or put a bookmark in there and turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 13. And I I want you to see this. So Romans chapter 13, and I'll read it for you. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He wrote that regarding the Romans. Clearly, God has established that we are to be peaceful citizens that respect authorities that he's established. So back to, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, where we can begin to kind of round out and get a better understanding of why we must be subject to these governmental authorities. Verse 15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, as a a Christian, you're free indeed, and you are meant to enjoy your freedom, but obey the law of the land. Keep good order, be subject to authority, because when you don't, you sin against your fellow man and God himself. We can't take freedom to a point where we're unruly or disorderly in the eyes of the watching world. That only fuels the fire of what verse 15 called ignorance and foolishness. The world wants us to spew at the mouth, to display a rebellious, unfiltered, sinful nature in print and on Facebook for the whole world to see. The world wants us to fight. It wants to say, see, they're no different. The Christians are the same as everyone else. Look how repugnant they are. Look how they fight. But the Bible tells us how to deal with this ignorance and foolishness, and that's to silence it. How? By doing good. By not living as the angry and offended, but by living as servants of God, by following the principles laid out in verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And then he closes by repeating one that probably felt impossible for the the early Christians that were being persecuted in Rome and at times feels impossible for us. 
to honor the emperor. So how do I do this? How do I wrestle and pin down my independence when the various governmental authorities are stacked against me? Or I don't, I don't do what they, they don't do what they should. The first way to handle it is to, to number one, redirect your focus. And so here's an example. In John 18, Jesus has been brought before Pilate and Pilate asks him, are you a king? And Jesus' answer is one that reminds us of the kingdom that we belong to. John 18, 36 reads this way. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Because if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I, may, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. You see, when things look bad, redirect your focus to the government that Jesus is talking about. That's our true nation. Now, I love America. I really do. I'm a patriot. I'm a veteran of two wars. I am a lover of liberty. America is the best. There is no doubt in my mind. But our true citizenship and our true allegiance and our focus lands squarely in the kingdom of God. That is our nation. Redirect your focus. Number two, reassure one another. Last fall, I had an opportunity to preach from 1 Thessalonians 4, and I can't help but tell you again that in that chapter, after describing the glory of Christ's return and the assurance of being with Jesus forever, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another with these words. He's saying to remember our hope for the future, to reassure one another through times that this isn't it. So we've got another election coming up, and when it doesn't go the way that you want it to go, remember this is not it. We know where our hope is, Jesus Christ, and he will return. The next time that an election doesn't go your way and your friend calls you up and he wants to talk about how the country is going to hell in a handbasket, instead of teaming up with him and trying to work out every detail and complain about every last bit of it down to what color the handbasket is, <laughs> reassure one another and you'll be reassured. Remember where our hope comes from. Number three, rest in the new. When we're agitated by the wrongs of government, we develop a spirit of restlessness that makes it near impossible to rest. For some of us, it's a borderline obsession. You surround yourself with talk radio and cable news, consuming the drama at every spare moment. How do you expect to have any peace? Turn that stuff off for a while and rest in the new. Talking about the new earth, the earth that's to come. Second Peter chapter 3, right after this chapter, says, According to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Rest in the new earth that you'll occupy. Read all of chapter 3 about how the heavenly bodies will melt and burn and let that inform your concern for today's politics. Let the hope of a new earth with a new governor and a new righteousness give you a sense of rest. When it's hard to be subject to governmental authorities, try these three things to redirect your focus, to reassure one another, and to rest in the new. You know, the government in its many forms, even local, isn't our most challenging, um, challenging level of authority that we deal with. 
It's this. Look at verse 18. It says, servants, that's us, be subjects to your masters, that's your boss, with all respect. Ouch. And for those of you who say, well, I don't have a master, yes, you do. Whether you work for someone directly, you work in your home, you own your own business, you have some sort of earthly master that you answer to. And when we, as Christ followers, deal with these earthly masters, we submit to earthly masters. Now let's pause for a moment and quickly address uh, some of the words that I just used, and we find them right here in today's text. So depending on your translation, it might say servant, or it might say slave. And so the, the Bible gets the challenge from time to time that it condones slavery because wicked men in generations past used the Bible, they twisted it, and they contorted it to propagate evil on a whole race of people. And because they did that, we now get charged at times with, well, slaveries in the Bible. Well, it is a different type of slavery, and perhaps that would be a whole different sermon that we could spend a lot of time on, but I, I want to try to squash that very quickly by reading this. This is Exodus 21.16. It says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. So does that sound like the Bible's in support of the African Atlantic slave trade? I don't think so. Now that we've got that out of the way and we understand what we're not talking about, what we are talking about, especially in application for us today in the modern world, in our modern context, is that any time that you enter an employment agreement, a customer agreement, or any other relationship where you have a work obligation to another, we are to submit to the master that God has seen fit to place over us. Sometimes they're good. I'm in a great place right now where I have a, a good boss over me. Sometimes they're very bad, and I've experienced that too. Verse 18 continues, Submit not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and you're beaten for it and you endure. But if you are good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Again, we see the theme of suffering for the Lord. The text is saying it's a gracious thing when injustice comes our way to be mindful of the Lord and for him to suffer through it. Peter's reasoning this out, saying that the Lord's grace isn't reflected when we do wrong and are punished. That's just justice. But when we do right and suffer injustice through our willing submission, Jesus is magnified and God sees it. And I've seen this go down with my own eyes. There was a, a manager of a company that I worked for that um, had trumped up some charges and was ready to terminate an employee. And so... I watched this manager as he was getting ready to do this, and I could see the look in his face. He was loaded for bear. He had, I could see him rehearsing in his mind all of the reasons that he had gathered up that he was going to terminate this guy, and you could see the anger and, and just radiating from his face. But the man that he fired was a Christian, and that guy, for the sake of God, stood in front of him, and took the verbal beating right on the chin 
and at the end of it, thanked him. He thanked him for the time that he had to work there. He blessed the manager by telling him all the ways that the manager had blessed him while he was an employee, the things that he was able to accomplish, the things that he had learned. And so I got to see the manager's face change. And I don't know if it changed him forever, but at least in that moment there was a realization that he was doing wrong and the response from the Christian, the way that he took it, was very different from the way that the world looked. It was very different from what he expected. And the conversation changed from an angry confrontation to what ended in a friendly handshake and a somewhat still intact relationship. That was submitting to that earthly master for the sake of Christ. And we submit to earthly masters for Christ. We reflect his glory. We reflect his ultimate authority by knowing although this earthly master is wrong, I will trust in the ultimate master. Verse 21 says, for this you've been called. Submitting is one way that God has called us to be set apart, different, holy. You know what? It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. And it's plain old hard. It's no easy task. But there are some biblical principles that can help us submit to these earthly masters. So when suffering hits, number one, don't gossip. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So fight the temptation to gossip and slander when your earthly masters do you wrong. It's unbecoming. That's a, a word that I got to hear a lot in the Navy mostly because I was unbecoming. I didn't reflect the mission and values of the United States Navy with some of my behavior. And so, when we gossip and we slander because we're hurt, when we do that, rather than submit, it is unbecoming of a disciple of Christ and it reflects poorly on him. Grace should season our speech. This doesn't mean that you can't talk to anyone about it. I implore you, to share your struggles and suffering with your small group. You can pray together, advise one another, but for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you are hurting at the hands of someone over you, don't gossip. It doesn't help. Here's number two. Don't grumble. Now, this is much like gossip, but it's a little different. It, like gossip, is a heart-mouth issue. I don't know if any of you are like me and have that, but it's a, a heart and a mouth issue. But gossip is this sort of aggressive, acute response to suffering. Grumbling is that passive, constant complaining about the situation. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Again, I want you to be part of a small group. I want you to have one-on-one -on -one relationships with one another. I want you to talk to your spouse. Don't suffer alone, but also do not grumble aimlessly to anyone and everyone that will listen to your situation. God has called you to a higher road. Number three, don't get even. 
Now this can take many forms. It can be quarreling with a supervisor, going toe for toe, tit for tat, the attitude of how dare you say that to me. Or it can be the justification mindset of they owe me. It's what makes us think that stealing isn't really stealing because they owe me. It can be as simple as taking advantage of the system, stealing time. Maybe it even looks like taking items home because it makes up for their injustice. Or it can look like this. It can look like sabotage. It's very tempting to set things up to fail when revenge seems justified. But here's what the Word of God says from Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So don't gossip, don't grumble, don't get even. You have been called to something greater. We're called to submit through suffering here on earth. Verse 21, we're back to 1 Peter. Verse 21 says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Notice the personal language here. He died for you. He left an example for you so that you will follow. So suffering through submission is for all Christians, and Christ is the example that we all follow. Verse 22 shows us that this example that Jesus set, that there was no offense So look at verse 22. It says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Matthew 26, 59 and 60 read this way, that the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. There was no offense The rest of verse 22 says that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. See, Jesus made no defense. Matthew 62 and 63 read, The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. He offered no defense in the face of the unjust authorities as they closed in on him. In verse 23, we see that Jesus offered only trust. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus is the example of how to submit through suffering. He committed no offense, yet offered no defense, showing us that only trust in God reflects the faith that endures the masters of this world. He is the example, and he's the example that you should follow and that I should follow. And whether you've been walking with Jesus for decades or you have no idea who he really is, please pay very close attention to these final verses as we come to a close today because this is the most important thing that you will ever hear. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. You were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, Jesus submitted himself
for you. Jesus was tortured for you. Jesus was murdered for you. In his death, Jesus suffered the weight and the sin and the wrath of God so that you may not. This is the gospel. Because Jesus submitted and suffered on the cross, you now have an opportunity to be made righteous in God's eyes. Turn away from self-righteousness. Turn away from sin. Submit yourself to the suffering servant, Christ Jesus. Because the grave couldn't hold him, and he rose from the grave, and he returned to the Father in heaven where he sits at his right hand, and soon he will return. And he will return with justice making all things right, separating those who have submitted and those who will not. So where do you find yourself? Are you by your own hand holy? Are you blameless, spotless? Are you perfect? Or do you need to throw yourself at the mercy of King Jesus and say, take my place, Lord, take my place. If you've not done this, today is the day. Now is the time. Ask him to forgive you and to stand in your place and then go and follow all that he teaches and commands. If you're a follower here today, give thanks and praise that he submitted and he suffered on your behalf and then go into this unbelieving world and model what the Savior has done for you through submitting, through suffering. Let's pray.